and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life, a special episode where we speak to somebody who's intrinsic if you want to get your photography seen in the printed form. Many other podcasts will talk to photographers and people around the subject, but I wonder how many of them actually get to the nitty-gritty of talking about printing. Not just printing in the darkroom, but digital printing and commercial printing also. Well, this week, I'm really pleased to bring you a conversation with one of the masters of the art. Bob Tursak is the CEO of the high-end printing company Brilliant Graphics. He is a third-generation printer who grew up in the Philadelphia suburbs who became interested in photography when he was in junior high. He had his first darkroom in his sixth grade and attended the Ansel Adams workshops in Carmel and the main photography workshops, I should say, and other photography courses. Tursak's father founded Tursak Printing, a commercial printers, in 1959 and Bob began training on the small press as a teenager. But his real uh, passion was for fine art prints, and he ultimately sold the company in 1998. Tursak started Brilliant Studio in 2000 in his basement, planning to make prints for artists and photographers as a one-man band. But the business quickly grew, and he soon founded Brilliant Graphics to produce brochures, catalogues, posters and books. The company now has 72 employees, and Tursak has worked with photographers including Sally Mann, Ralph Gibson, George Tice, Steve McCurry, Emmett Gowan, Mark Seliger, and institutions including the National Gallery Washington, D.C., the Metropolitan Museum of Art, New York, the Hermitage Museum, Princeton University Art Museum, Los Angeles County Museum of Art, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, University of Pennsylvania Press, Yale University Press, and the Andy Warhol Foundation. Well, as you can tell, that's pretty impressive, and Bob certainly knows his stuff, as you're about to hear. This conversation was the first time we'd ever met or spoken to each other, and I have to say, I felt like Bob was a brother from another mother. So, Bob, thanks very much for joining us on the uh, A Photographic Life. Well, thanks for having me here. I, uh, I, we're going to be talking about photo books today. And uh, if there's one thing I love to do, it's to talk about photo books. So I'm all in. Yeah. And I, and I think, of course, um, printing is the key, isn't it, to what we're going to be talking about today? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, when somebody decides they're going to do a photo book, it's not just ink on paper, you know, it's not a job, it's somebody that's ready to commit their soul to, to all time here, you know, <laughs> and a yeah. book, an artifact, it's evidence that somebody lived and it's a very serious thing. It is a serious thing, but what I want to just start off with is talk a little bit about, um, in all this time that we've been producing the podcast, um, if I go back to when I first started with photography in the analog days, my lab and my printer were my heroes because the better they were, the better a photographer I would be. Um, I never started out studying photography. I never had a dark room at home. I, I never went down that road. But you did, didn't you? Well, yeah. I mean, my dad was a printer. Uh, you know, he he printed commercial work and uh 
He had a deep abiding passion for quality in all things, no matter what it was around the house. I mean, the way you made your bed, you know, uh, when we went on vacation, where we went, how we how we went. And uh, and certainly his job of printing, he learned in the Navy in the 50s. And um, I grew up in the house uh, that, that was our shop. You know, the business was in the basement first, then the garage. And so it, my very earliest memories of printing were wonderful. And, you know, when other kids were playing with whatever, my dad gave me a little tabletop letter press and some cuts. And I remember my first time printing was on our back porch. He gave me a cut of the map of the United States and told me how to uh, adjust pressure. And I, I might have been 10 maybe nine. Um, and so I printed up all these wonderful maps and I went door to door thinking my neighbors would love to have them. <laughs> and then uh, my bedroom was on top of uh, part of the shop when it, as it was starting to grow, it expanded and we built on to our house and then eventually we moved. But my bedroom was over top of an old Chandler and Price letterpress that had been uh, powered with a compressor. So I would go to sleep listening to the rhythmic movement of that compressor with the poof and the ha of the, of the compressor. And and so I grew up. Uh, I grew up loving print uh, from the core. It wasn't just something I inherited. I think it's wired in my DNA. I just absolutely love making images and reproducing images uh, uh, with a deep, abiding passion. So you moved from the love of the smell of the ink to the smell of the fix. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I remember that uh, as as I grew. Um, I was a teenager running a catalog for a local pipe fitting company. They made all kinds of pipe fittings and they were never really happy with the, the look of their fittings. You know, they, we, we would get photographs that were really poor and we had to make halftone conversions of them. And so my dad started teaching me how to make a halftone, uh, you know, which is using lift film and ortho film for printing. And no matter how hard I tried, you know, you can't, increased scale that's not already there or at least not in some sense so one day in this guy's office i was a really really a young kid um, i was there with my grandfather i know i didn't have my driver's license but i had just gotten a camera as a gift from my dad it was an old exacta and i was having some success in a dark room i i used the money that uh, that i earned working for my dad and bought an enlarger it was a vivitar model e34 for 75 dollars that i got through my school and I was having some initial success just getting contrast that I was thrilled with. I'll never forget the first print I made that was successful technically. And so this, this gentleman at the, this fittings company, his name was Ralph. Um, I said, Ralph, is there any way I could have one of these pipe fittings and try taking a picture of it and showing you what could be? So it was on a Saturday. I got an old heat lamp that my dad had from raising dogs and I put a white bulb in it a sheet that my mother gave me as a backdrop. I photographed this pipe fitting, developed it, uh, printed it, went upstairs uh, into the, the printing dark room, you know, for the printing company, made a half tone and asked my dad if it would be okay if I made some plates and, and uh, printed this thing. I was so excited. It turned out considerably better than anything we had printed before. I showed him and I, I think I was 13 or 14, showed it to Mr. Kelly, this guy, Ralph, and he was thrilled. He gave me five bucks a fitting and I was rich, you know, fresh. <laughs> so I, I uh, was photographing the, these, uh, you know, these three dimensional objects and then printing them and having a ball. And um, then at school, 
I told my my uh, my photography teacher at school. He had a we had a dark room at our junior high school, and he took me under his wing and I showed him what I was doing. And boy, he just poured his life into me. And between my father and this teacher, his name was Stanley Okaneski, uh, they gave me a wonderful foundation for my life uh, and just fueled my passion at every at every opportunity. And so I'm very grateful for having that background and that and that foundation for these two men. But it's really interesting because I, I studied graphic design and um, back in the early 1980s. And therefore, I was taught hot metal. I was taught typepressing and printing from a commercial perspective. Then I moved on to being an art director of magazines. And every month I would go on press uh, mm -hmm. with the number one and I would be color passing uh, whatever work came through. So I started to develop a real knowledge of commercial printing alongside well I wasn't studying photography but later on I was able to bring that understanding to my photography you were doing both things at the same time as well yeah this this is the thing that you know uh, uh, divine intervention just having the ability to have a dark room and loving photography and then loving lithography printing and marrying the two I, I have to tell you it, it's just something that's possessed me my whole life and when you have those resources right at your fingertips and you have a father who encourages you and you have you know you have other people around you who are who are just moving you forward and then you start to get clients you know and then you start to get very difficult clients and that's where your education begins and by difficult i mean that in the best sense of that word i mean people who who really pushed and who, who said bob this is great but really can we do better you know, and um, I, I'm not entirely happy with these three, but I love these six. What can we do to make these three look like these six? And I would I would go into the dark room downstairs, you know, the the um, photographic dark room, and work on negatives that they gave me because even though they might have been good photographers, their prints weren't always so good. So I really learned how to be quite a good printer at the urging and compulsion of um, of, of clients, and then to take that. And not have it ruined by a poor halftone on the commercial side, you know, on the on the offset press side, and learning the intricacies of how a, a dot uh, is made to reproduce continuous tone, even though those two things really don't align. How do you how do you make them work together? And um, I remember that um, I think the earliest line ruling we were using in the printing company was maybe 100 lines per inch. And that was no matter how hard you work, that was just not satisfactory. And so I remember talking to our graphic arts distributor and he said, well, is it, there's this thing called 175 line, but I don't think it works very well. It's too hard to use. Well, in a weekend, we had that working. And then now today we're working in 400 line hybrid uh, screening, which is a, a, a composite of stochastic and conventional screening, giving you near continuous tone results that I just uh, I can't say enough about. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, you're, you're using words here that are taking me back, uh, but back to the days of duotones, tritones, and halftones, and and, right. every, and everything else. But if we fast forward to, I mean, in those days, as we are well aware, a, a book was designed by a designer, or it was printed by a commercial printer. Uh, the photographer might print their own work or might pass it to to a professional lab to get it processed and done, depending upon uh, money, usually, and, and kind of uh, ability. But if we fast forward now to the digital age, where the photographer feels 
that they either can do, should do, or have to do everything without those that knowledge and without that expertise. I think this causes big problems. What do you think? Well, you know, it does and it doesn't. First of all, um, I, let, let's just put the the the, the um, precept out there that all methods of photography are wonderful. I don't care if it's analog or digital or or legacy or something that's nouveau. Um, it all works together, right? We're all creating images. I don't care what you know what what your uh, core passion is. But one of the challenges of digital photography is it has enabled the medium to be accessible to more people, right? Not everybody can have a darkroom. Not everybody uh, ha has that background. So people are making prints from files that they're so excited about. I mean, when you make an image and, and, you, and, it, and it's even close to the vision that you had, it's very exciting. And so you want to go right to print or right to publishing that image, even if it's just electronically. And oftentimes it's done too quickly. There's not enough time spent take looking at that image saying, wow, um, you know, really it's quite good, but technically speaking, it's hindered because the message is hindered or, or the vision of that piece is hindered because technically it's not there yet. Not that it can't be, but with modest adjustments to highlight, shadow, mid-tone, the things that you learn in the darkroom, um, without those adjustments, the photo oftentimes is fractional to what it could be. And so that's where I, I am very, very excited when I meet a photographer and, and there's kismet, you know, not, not everybody can, can be a client, you know, and I'm not the printer for everybody. But when there's a connection and I can get inside that photographer's head, it's my great privilege and pleasure to be an extension of their vision for the work. Because the the thing that's missing today is that analog experience. And I say that because if you've struggled in the darkroom and you've been frustrated over and over and over again with your results, and through that frustration, you've been learning on how something can be increased in tonal scale or decreased if something was shot too high a contrast. When you learn how to manipulate exposure, development, and printing, that enables you to be 10 times the Photoshop user that many people unfortunately are because they don't have that background. That's not speaking pejoratively, pejoratively of those people who don't have that background, but I feel bad for people who have never been in the darkroom because there are certain skills, there are certain things that you gather there that are transferable, very naturally so, to using Photoshop or any manipulation program to getting those pictures right where you want them to be. And so oftentimes today you see compromise, even unwitting compromise, just simply because that technical background hasn't been gifted or, or hasn't been offered or, or hasn't taken advantage of um, enabling that photographer to really take that, that file, that digital file that they've created and get the most out of it. And one of the wonderful things today is, oh my goodness, I mean, you know, if you were in a low light situation years ago with photography and you know, you expose for the shadow, you develop for the highlights, you you expand your development time. All that stuff now is basically, it. you get most of that information with most current sensors. With most current sensors, you, you, you kind of do the opposite. You know, you expose for the highlight, but the shadow is there, even though it might not be immediately evident when you're looking at your file. So a lot of that work has been done for you, but um, most digital sensors today give you a big leg up if you know and, and understand uh, what you can get out of, if that makes sense. 
it makes complete sense. However, I'm going to say it diametrically opposite to what I believe. Okay. <laughs> and re regular listeners will know that, um, but this is kind of us going off piste and, and it's the joy of having a rolling conversation with no okay. preparation. I mean, as I often say, you know, this is the first time we've met and had an opportunity to bounce stuff off each other. So it's great. Um, and all opinions are always welcome. Um, my only issue I have is that with analog, um, I, I actually lead a photographic course where there is no analog, where we don't take students into the darkroom, mm -hmm. um, primarily because old school teaching is no longer there, that it is five days a week in the darkroom. The cost of analog is so um, is so high with film and processing, and I'm actually focusing on actually getting young photographers to be able to tell stories, to be able to see to be able to actually work on a lot of stuff, which digital is really good for. But that's okay. I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. However, I think in a changing world, um, that particular approach is very difficult. But what I do think is really interesting is the other part of that problem, which is where photographers are looking every, at everything at a, on a backlit screen. And of course, as we know, the moment something is printed, it's front lit. And therefore, this is why they're so often disappointed with what a printed page looks like, because they have no concept that what they're achieving in Photoshop quite often is unprintable. Ah, okay. This is this is great. Um, well, first of all, we, we all know, obviously, you need a calibrated screen, right? And we need a universal understanding of what a calibrated screen is. First of all, only certain monitors are calibratable. I mean, I've had people come in and say, it just doesn't look like my screen. I said, well, let's talk about how you're looking at it on your screen. And they whip out a laptop with the brightness turned all the way up. And it's just so frustrating, you know, and you say, listen, let's look at this on, you know, an ISO or, 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 a, or a quality monitor, uh, properly calibrated, uh, in all aspects and with your ambient light taken into consideration. And then we then we get to a better place and we can make adjustments that are relatable to how it's going to print that are real life on screen. So that's one problem is making sure that we're looking at our images properly. Uh, and, and I would say that in all of my experience with digital, and, and we've been heavily, heavily into this since I would say the late '90s in in digital uh, image or imaging from digital work. I would say that the vast majority of clients who come to me are not looking at it as such. You know, we're not looking at it appropriately. Um, and then, secondly, the, the good news is there's the proof. And um, I, I don't know if if listeners will remember Fred Picker from Zone Six Labs in Newfane, Vermont. He was a black and white technical genius uh, with equipment in analog days. And he would always say the proof is in the proof. So let's make sure that uh, that what we're seeing is, um, is there on the proof before we ever get to press. Now, another part of the discussion on this is we have two primary means of making photo books. Uh, technically speaking, we have digital printing and we have offset printing. The marvelous thing about digital printing, which benefits both sides of the, of the processes there, is that you can very quickly and very inexpensively take an image that the photographer loves 
they'll send it to me. I'll look at it. I might optimize it. And then we're going to print that on several different surfaces and see if it's as the vision that they had. You, this is very fast, very inexpensive. Um, typically, a, a client, well, I'll give you a live example where a client came to me with some black and white work. They want to print only 50 books, case bound for a special occasion. And so we're going to print it as tritones, three blacks um, on our digital press, which is an HP Indigo 12,000, which, by the way, is the only digital machine that's acceptable for printing fine photographic work today. That's quantifiable. That's not opinion. Um, and we'll we'll print those tritones on uh, an uncoated eggshell, uh, an uncoated smooth, a bright white, a soft white, and maybe a coated sheet just for fun, just to see and make sure that we have this where they want it and get that back to them. So yes, you bring up a very important point where people can be disappointed quickly. There are some technical things that need to fall in place, which are very easy to do. And then we proof, and we make sure that the proof is as they want it. And we can allay those fears pretty quickly. So that shouldn't be something that people are suffering with. If they are, it's, it, it might be unnecessary. I think also, um, and again, I, I suppose I'm leaning on my uh, commercial printing experience of pulling back the yellow because it's flattening out, uh, <clears throat> you know, especially when you're running on 32 or 64 uh, pages at a time and you're mm -hmm. trying to color proof them at speed. But obviously, there's an opportunity to have much more sophisticated approach to color control when you're doing it. But I do think that there's still a lack of understanding that when photographers are working in post-production on their images, they are pushing reds to a point when they're oversaturated or towards right. yellows and so forth. Right. This is this is an, uh, also a good point. Now we're talking not about screen to press sheet. We're talking about gamut and the reproducible gamut. You know, if you if you look online, just Google um, RGB CMYK color gamut overlay, you know, and they'll show you that the RGB space is this big, the CMYK space is this big. So there are ways to uh, fool the eye on this or to increase gamut from a perception standpoint. Can I just say, Bob, you, you, you did something great there for audio, which is you gave me a visual interpretation because I can see it. So the RGB, <laughs> the RGB gamut is bigger and the CMYK oh, yes. is much, much smaller, isn't it? Ab absolutely. And we'll talk about that, how, how that gets further complicated in just a moment. But if you think of the RGB and the CMYK gamut as circles, the RGB uh, color gamut is, say, 10 inches in diameter and the CMYK is 8 inches in diameter. Please, nobody quote me on that. That's just for like, that's just, I'm just trying to give an idea. You know, you, you, you clip a lot of color uh, when you go from RGB to CMYK. Possibly not all RGB images are going to get clipped. I would say probably 20% of what we get in, maybe 30% have images that have reds and things that are outside the gamut, either because in nature they are, or they have been over-processed or, or processed to a point where we're pushing them out. So if we take that RGB file, and by the way, Every, every printer who's serious about photo books wants the RGB file. They don't want you to convert to CMYK because the printer has their own particular profile based on the inks that they use, the presses they use, the blankets they use. If we're talking digital, it's the digital machine they use. It's the PIB they use. There's, there's many, many things that come into play that affect gamut at an individual printer. So send the printer your RGB file, ask them to convert it for you, and send you just a JPEG before and after. And you can look and very quickly see if we are 
flipping or not. Now, yesterday, uh, today's Sunday, excuse me, Friday, we got a uh, wonderful image from Joyce, Co or, a, or a catalog for Joyce Kozloff. Um, this image uh, is for a gallery in New York City, and it has colors that are way outside of gamut. So we take the RGB file, we take it into the lab color space, which is much more malleable than the CMYK color space. Work on it there, then convert that to CMYK. Now we're a little bit ahead of the game. So we did that and we saved the yellows, we saved the reds, but we didn't save the greens. So what we are going to do is the greens that are outside of the gamut, they're almost fluorescent, they're almost fugitive. We're going to add a fifth color. So that job will print CMYK and a special green to augment that green and get it right where that photographer needs to see it or where the gallery needs to see it in that particular case. In photography, you can do that too. Now, I mean, in offset printing, you can do that, um, it, obviously, because that's the example I just gave. But if you go to digital printing, that becomes even easier. We did a project for a photographer in New York who had a one-shot deal to present a, a, a project to Chloe. And wow, these things were shot in pro photo, which is something we'll talk about in a moment. So the gamut is really out, right? It's bigger than Adobe RGB. And impossible it was you can't do it in cmyk but we had to do it so we printed it in cmyk and we had a bump red for the for the lipsticks we had a bump yellow for some of the eyeshadows and things and a bump blue this thing might have been seven or eight colors now you say oh that's wonderful but isn't that super expensive it depends on the quantity and it depends on the process his job didn't cost that much more he needed one book for this presentation and by the way the guy got the gig i'm very very proud to say but I guess what I'm trying to say is everything is possible in printing. And if you're told it's not, then, then you need to just talk a little bit more and find out and talk to some more people. Yes, there's costs associated with things, but if we're talking today about just what's possible, um, printing offers the photographer nearly endless options for getting where they need to be. Whether they're feasible economically or, whether, or, or mechanically, that remains to be you know, discussed when you know all the parameters of a given project. But printing offers us a lot more than we take advantage of. The one word that keeps coming into my mind whilst I'm listening to you is, is collaboration. Oh, see, this this is my frustration. As I, I'm 64, I've been doing this my entire life. And the older I get, the more frustrated I get because what, when, when I get a client, I'll, I know generally in the first 10 minutes of that phone call, or visit if it's going to be a successful thing. If someone comes in and they're bidding to seven people and, and there's almost a bit of antagonism because maybe they've had a bad experience or two, just, you know, justifiably antagonistic in the past. And I just don't feel that there's, that there's going to be a good connection. I usually try to bow out of the project because I'll go back to something I said earlier, printing a photo book or printing work for a photographer is a tremendous honor and a privilege for a printer. It's a great responsibility. And if there's not a soulful connection between the two, it, it's very, very hard, maybe even impossible to get amazing results. And that's that's important to talk about too when we talk about results. You know, there's a lot of times that I'll be on press and I'll say, well, what do you think? And they say, yeah, yeah, it looks good. That to me, you might as well have just thrown up on the press sheets, you know, because if someone isn't delighted with the work, if they're not excited about the work, 
it's a failure. It's an absolute You're looking for passion, really, aren't you? It, 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 passion drives everything. It really does. And you don't have to agree, you know, on everything with the, with the, uh, the, the photographer and the printer not to agree on anything, but they have to agree on one thing. They're out for a number, you know, the best possible results that those two human beings together on this earth can create. Um, and that takes a deep connection. For me, it's like looking at a piece of art on the wall. You know, if you're looking at a great... Um, uh, you name the artist, you know, if you're looking at a great painting and I, and I oftentimes will see somebody doing that and I'll say, what do you love about that painting? Oh, I love the color and I love the composition. And then and I'll talk about the mechanics of the painting. I said, do you know anything about the artist when they were painting that and what they were going through in their life and, and what they were trying to do and what they were trying to say? If they don't, they've missed 75% of the experience. And so for the printer, if I'm, if I don't understand what that photographer is going through, um, uh, what what they're what they're struggling with, what they did struggle with, what they're afraid of, then I don't have the ammunition I need to uh, and the power I need to get them to where they ultimately want to go, even if it's farther than what they realize, which is always my goal. Um, I, I did a, a project for a, a woman who's a, she's just a, an incredible human being. She, in her early sixties, she went and lived with tobacco farmers. Um, in a remote village of Cuba. Uh, and she told their story. And if she would have bought me these prints, which were marvelous, and I would have just printed that book, it would have been a nice book. But because I knew so much of what she went through to make these pictures and so much of what these families dealt with, after she told me that's, you know, all of this background or, or a lot of the background, it changed my, uh, my suggestion for the paper that we were gonna use. I went from a bright white to a soft white. These pictures needed a softer, kinder feel to them. Um, I have a book that I'm working on right now for a, an amazing humanitarian and photographer. And the publisher wants to put it on a soft white. This is just the opposite. And that's the wrong thing to do. This thing needs to be on an ultimate white. And it needs to be hyper smooth. These photos have to be, they have to hit you in the head with a closed fist. And if they soften up the weight of that paper, I, I will fight it until they tell me to go away. Um, so these, these kinds of things have to happen between a, a, a printer and a photographer, um, a painter, whomever. There has to be a deep connection. If it's just a purchase order and one will be ready, I'm not interested. Uh, it's just going to be another book. You know, It might be wonderful work, but it's just going to be another book. So you're raising so many interesting points here because, you know, passion, commitment, uh, long-term goals, you know, that we know they're the keys to photography. We know that they're the important foundations. But at the same time, you're running a business and you're talking there about a publisher um, who you're going to have to say, listen, I think you're wrong. I'm currently going through a, a discussion with the publisher of my next book. And I keep saying, no, 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 that font is a fraction too big. It's got to come down a point size. And they're like, you're a real pain. And I'm like, I might be. But this is important. So how do you find that balance between those two things? You know, I don't I don't know the right answer to that question, but I know as I as I do a lot of reflecting these days, I know that my best clients, my most successful projects, I've become friends with the with the artists. Um, and I think that has to happen. There, there just has to be this X factor connection uh, that's there. And the other thing too is, your printer has to understand how to handle a camera. I, I love photography. I'm a photographer. I, 
I worked very hard at it. But it enabled, it's like going to a, a doctor who's never been sick in his life, right? Is he really going to understand what that cancer is going to, or, you know, what all these, it, it's, it's a whole lot different. If you go to someone who's been through the exact same thing that you're struggling with. Um, and so, you know, I've made thousands of images that have frustrated me. I've made a few that I really love. So I know what it is to have something uh, uh, not treated with the same care or, or respect that I have for it. One time I had a project designed for me and they cropped all my images. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I went nuts inside my head. I mean, I didn't go all of them, but they, how could they do that? You know, they took away the corners of the image that held the image together. I didn't, what are you doing? It was a calendar I was trying to do, a, a journal calendar I was trying to do. And um, boy, that that made me very, very sensitive to myself, making sure my people never uh, arbitrarily uh, do something like that, you know, which is, you know, it, 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 it's damaging. You know, you just don't want to do that. So where are you now with, you know, we, we've had what, I suppose, at least 15 years of this growth of digital photography, maybe 20 years of this growth of dig digital photography and digital uh, printing. And therefore, we, we, you know, we've now got an awful lot of photo books out there. Uh, not necessarily all of them need to be out there. So wh where um, are you? On this? Oh, okay. So this is where I, I this, is, this is also a, a wonderful point. Um, not everything is ready for print. And the responsible printer will tell you that in the kindest possible way. I'm not very good at it. I'm a horrible politician. I'm not a good salesperson. Um, I, I am criticized oftentimes for being too blunt, but one of the questions I'll ask a photographer, if I see something that has great potential, but it's not there yet, I'll say, I'll ask them what their plans are for distribution. You know, ha have they, have they really thought through a marketing plan for how to get this out there? And I think, I, I hope that someday we'll say that, that I've done them a great service by helping them to think things through. We had a project that I was pretty excited about, uh, about five years ago, maybe six years ago. And they came, the work was great, but it wasn't, it wasn't strung together quite yet. The, the pairing, the sequencing, the text that are in with the photos. And I was supported by another very well-known photographer who was kind of mentoring them. They came back after six years and that book is one of the best on my shelf now. I, I will never forget this project. I, I, uh, the, the sales have started with it and um, I'm very proud of the work and proud of this, this particular photographer for, for having the patience and the, and the courage, you know, to step back for a little bit and to wait. Um, and on, on publishing, you know, everybody's got an opinion, right? Every, everybody says, yeah, this is ready. Yeah, that's not ready. And, you know, sometimes I'll say something's not ready and I'll, I'll be quite wrong. You know, the photographer ultimately has to follow their heart and their head, but the heart and the head have to be formed by people that trust a lot of people and a lot of opinions around them that they ask, you know, they don't always have to follow that, but they should always be seeking feedback on the work, um, whether they're going to print or not, you know, but uh, particularly if they're going to print, uh, because no, nobody, I mean, I certainly don't want to do a, a great book that, that's nothing but inventory. Um, that doesn't do anybody any good to have, you know, 500 books sitting in your basement or your garage. <laughs> it's like, you want them out there in the world. You want, you want your work to be, to be speaking for you and about you and, and about the cause for whatever reason you're doing the book. Um, Robert Frank said his books are more important than his prints. And that's true. Uh, uh, you know, how many people are ever going to get to see an exhibition by Robert Frank? You know, it's, it's fractional compared to the number of people that could buy his book um, uh, everywhere. 
Yeah, you know, it's um, it's interesting. You you ask the question about marketing. I always ask, who's the audience? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm quite often met with very blank faces. Right. Right. There's three questions I always ask, especially if I have a question about about the project. Number one, what's important about this project? Number two, what's critical about this project? And number three is how is this project going to be used? Um, and if they, if they can't answer those three, we work through them together. And they might have the answers. They might not have ever articulated them. Or uh, in, in a more cautionary way, maybe they just don't have answers to those questions. And um, they're just motivated by having their work in print um, for the sake of having it in print. And, you know, maybe there's nothing particularly wrong with that, but it's not particularly right either. Um, so, um, you know, like I said back at some point in our discussion, it's a great responsibility when you go to help somebody print. You want to make sure that what you're doing is important and that it's sustained, you know, that it's going to last uh, and that it is truly going to be um, in every sense of the word beneficial to the artist. So that's the world of photo books. Um, we seem to be on the same page as far as, as far as that goes. I wonder what are, what are your feelings about the world of? Um, I'm going to use a phrase I hate, but I'm going to use it: a fine art printing. It's as bad as as kind of fine dining to me. But that idea <laughs> of the print, the the limited edition, the collectible print that's digitally produced. Well, it's it's uh, it's directly tied to photo books, isn't it? Uh, mm. In fact. One of the main reasons someone should be in, in, in printing a book is to sell their prints. Um, the book is, is the vehicle. It's the best salesperson that that photographer is ever going to have to sell their prints. And um, I, number one, we want to make sure that the book looks like the prints. And there's a lot of times, you know, I've been on press with, with A-list photographers. And they say, wow, I hope I can make my prints look like this book. <laughs> because the book is, in fact, if you look at Ansel Adams' books, you know, they're oftentimes a lot nicer looking than the prints. Um, speaking uh, always honorably of my dear friend Ansel Adams. But um, uh, the, the exhibition print is vital uh, and critical. I'm not sure how to answer your question, but that's a big part of what we do as well. And it's certainly how I spent uh, uh, a major part of my life in the darkroom and, and in the digital darkroom as well. But um, uh, yeah, the book and the print are sisters, you know, brother and sister. Yeah, I suppose really what, what I was trying to kind of lead to, probably um, not very well, was the idea, I suppose, I think for a lot of photographers now who are perhaps reliant on print sales or reliant on getting a book out is that there's kind of an economic pressure upon them to do both of those things. I think that's why a lot of people just do it and just get it out there and don't work with other people or pay other people to do it. But also they're, they're kind of putting prints out at home and then trying to sell them. That's that's a hard, that's, that's a difficult topic. Um, and, and it's one that causes offense, uh, unfortunately for me easily. Just because you have a printer and some paper and some ink doesn't mean that your prints are, are, are really where they need to be. It, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, I, I, I think the greatest gift that could be given to the world of photography is a month where everybody has all the phones turned off, no interruptions, no bills, and they're allowed to study printing uh, uh, deeply. Um, because I, I would say it this way. Oftentimes when people bring me prints, I look at them and I long to get the file so I could help them see how they could get that print. 30%, 50% better than it is. 
papers today, you know, everybody's selling paper and most, most people are selling rebranded papers. I prefer to deal directly with mills so that you, if you have a problem, you can, you can, you can uh, get some help printing black and white work. I, I see it as probably the greatest, I see the greatest number of mistakes being made in printing black and white work um, because that, you know, people are printing it in, in color, it metamorizes, it, it, it gives a bad name to archival digital printing. Uh, on the on the print side, I see I see files that are that are largely overprocessed. You know, the one thing in life that applies to many many different things, but it applies to the analog darkroom first, and then it absolutely applies to the digital darkroom. Is less is best. I always tell people if if Photoshop if Adobe were ever to come out with the Pro series, the serious Pro series version of Photoshop, you would open it up and it would probably have three or four tools. <laughs> I think. There are way too many things in Photoshop that people get themselves in trouble with. And then, you know, if they don't save their files properly, if they never save the raw file, then they're then they're really in trouble because they've they've damaged the file to the point where they can't go back and start over. Um, so file management is another big thing that goes along with processing and and printing. I hope I hope I'm offering something useful there. I it uh, files largely overprocessed prints, not quite what they could be. That doesn't mean that there aren't people who walk in here with dead, beautiful stuff that I learned from, you know, uh, I, I don't mean to say it that way, but I would say a lot of people, especially emerging folks, um, I see that I see the print uh, um, um, oftentimes uh, not what it could be. Also, the presentation of the prints, you know, they're, they're not treated with respect. They don't come in a portfolio box or or, or they're just kind of mashed together and carried under the arm. You know, it, it, you have there has to be a certain amount of sacred reverence. <laughs> you know applied to 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 printing and to handling prints that that yeah. getting missed today and i think part of that is because it, honestly you have to spend money but you don't have to work as hard to get a nice print today you know so i think that maybe some of the respect for the printed image is is not great uh or is not not what it should be it, you just reminded me that i i remember uh i i did a shoot with richard abaddon in new york uh, back in the 90s and when um, he sent me the print um, and I have to say I have the label of the envelope framed <laughs> but um, when he sent me the print I'd never seen anything like it it was completely suspended in air by with blocks underneath it and blocks above it and nothing touched that right. print when it came in the post from New York to London. Yeah, I mean, you know, we should give uh, everybody white gloves for Christmas because, uh, you know, the oils from your hands, that affects uh, the paper. You know, the papers we use are, are acid-free, especially like the Hanamula and the Canson paper, these beautiful papers, but uh, they're put next to things that are just caustic and, and you see the paper yellowing and people wonder why the oil from your hand can affect the inks, just like it can on a silver gelatin. It's no different, no different. So, you know, there, ha there has to be a little care there. I remember, you know, some of the workshops I did when I was a kid, uh, big parts of it were dedicated to how to present your print, you know, dry mounting it on board, <laughs> signing the mat, or the board, excuse me, underneath the print and, you know, archival tissue wrapping it. So, um, yeah, you know, these are, these are things that, you know, you can have a whole workshop just on talking about um, how to handle the elements of, of our work and, uh, and the finished product. Well, you know, as you said, you and I are of a certain age, shall we say, I'm, I'm, yes. 50, I'm 59. So, you know, we were able to learn from people who had 
learned from people who had studied the craft in great detail and were, were real specialists. And we were very, very lucky. But I think also we grew up in a an environment with photography where everybody got their photographs printed, whether or not that was dropping them off at the local chemist or, or camera shop. It didn't matter. I mean, I still have, um, you know, albums and albums of, of photographs that my father um, took and they are our our physical history of our family but of course now I suppose it's the one area of photography that's been hit the hardest by digital is actually printing right 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 yeah a great image deserves to be on paper it really does um and there's a certain um there's a certain experience you know uh physiologically that 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 happens with holding a, a three-dimensional or two-dimensional, you know, thing in your hand and and looking at it and looking at every corner that's missed with transmitted light. I'd love to know more about the science of that, by the way, of, of reflected versus transmitted light and how it affects your brain and how we see things. But the biggest thing, you know, with digital, uh, with being able to create, uh, you know, 100 images in the time it would take you to create five, you know, years ago, uh, or the, the preponderance of cell phone images and, and social media with Instagram, which can be a wonderful tool. I'm not speaking poorly of that either, but with the preponderance of images and how easy it is to make them, we go back to what we just said a little bit ago, maybe we're taking for granted uh, what a really great image is you know, and uh, um, and the reverence that, that a great image deserves um, that, that somebody made. Uh, it might be harder today to understand a great photograph, even though there's millions more <laughs> than there was, you know, 40 years ago. Um, but it might be just harder to understand them today because we get hit and bombarded with them all the time. Yeah, I agree. I think there's an education thing there, which actually is probably missing. Um, for people listening, um, this is probably the most technical conversation we've ever had on on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. we we deliberately don't talk about cameras or anything technical but i think it's absolutely vital from the printing perspective to have this knowledge and understanding and if people like you don't share it i think it's very hard for photographers to actually get that knowledge and that information yeah you know and i i love sharing it too because like i said i i have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars through the course of my life making mistakes and uh, I, I want to leave that behind. I'm always looking for people that I can do a brain dump in, you know, uh, because why not? You know, if you really love photography, don't you want to uh, you, you propagate it? Um, so I, I love talking about the technical side, but I know that in my own passion for it, I can quickly, you know, become very boring quick with the, with the technical side. I You have to be careful too. You, you, there was a point in my life where I, I was building homages to technical printing. It was a wrong thing to do. It was for a long time. You know, I wanted everything to be technically absolutely perfect. And I remember being on press with a guy who, for whom I owe much. I didn't like him very much and he didn't like me very much. His, his name was Tom Adams. He was he owned a design firm in Wayne, Pennsylvania. And he, his son was a photographer and he used his son's photography in a lot of the persuasion-based printing that he did, you know, marketing people's goods and wares and services. And we were on press one time with this really beautiful image. Uh, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of floral in it. There was a lot of bright color. And I don't remember the, the you know, the, the company that this was for, but I remember the image well. 
And I had this thing perfect. From a printing standpoint, this thing could have been in the Hall of Fame. The densities were at the upper end. The dot gain was minimal. I mean, it was, it was, it was, if 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 you measured it, people wouldn't believe it was that low. The trap was perfect, one color onto, onto another. And I presented this in our viewing room, right? I took the sheet in from the press room, brought it in, and I, I said, here you go. And I had every confidence he was going to, you know, fall on the floor and thank me, you know. <laughs> and he just said, I hate it. And I said, what do you mean? We got into a, a real discussion. Uh, and he just wasn't happy. And he said, Bob, listen, I love you, but I don't care about the dot. I don't care about the densities. I want this thing to say more than it does or, or to sing more than it does. I don't remember how he phrased it. He said, bring those densities up. I don't care what it does to the document. So begrudgingly and with great uh, uh, chagrin, I did it and he loved it. And we had a nice lunch afterwards and he, he gave me a great lesson. You know, we're not selling technical demonstrations of what can be done. We're selling images and no matter how you get there, it's got to get there. The other side of that point is if you don't have the disciplines to control all the technical things to the nth degree plus plus, then you will never be able to really consistently and predictably get your work out there the way that you want it to get out there. You really remind me, I don't know if you've seen the uh, film on Gerhard Stiedel at Stiedel in Germany. Um, and in the documentary film, it's called uh, How to Make a Book. And in the film, he's working with Joel Sternfield, who um, is proving to be an incredibly... I've, I've seen it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Joel is pro proving to be a particularly difficult client with these pictures he's taken on his phone. Yeah. And, of course, by the end of it, uh, Stiedelger just says, oh, F the mid-tones. Yeah, and Sternfield yeah. is completely, uh, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> and you reminded me of that then. Yeah. Same, same exact thing. You know, you're you're exactly right. You, you know, you do have to, you have to be the Isaac Perlman, you know, of printing. You you have to control all that stuff. You have to be able to create that homage to technical printing, and then use it as a tool. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Yeah, you know, when I used to art direct, I used to train up art directors, and um, I always used to say to them, okay, here are the rules. Okay, I'm going to tell you the rules. Um, and what I want you to do is to learn these rules, and then I want you to break these rules. And then mm -hmm. a couple of years later, I, I met a, a, a girl who had worked for me, and now she was an art director, and she came running up to me, and she said, Grant, I follow the rules. And I was like, you have missed the point. You're meant to break <laughs> the rules. But if I just told them, because if you don't know the rules, when you're breaking them, you, you know what you're doing. Otherwise, you're just making mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, in my own work, I had become very, very frustrated. This is pretty recent, by the way, in my own photography. And I took a one-on-one -on -one course with Ralph Gibson. And I said, Ralph, I just, my images are soulless. Everything looks like something I've seen before, you know? And he, he said something to that effect, you know, where you, you're, you're holding, beholding to the rules. You're, 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 you're creating these technically beautiful images that you don't like. Forget the rules. Take the camera, tape your focus ring stable so you can't move it. You know, don't worry the app, take the photograph, make the photograph, print it. If it's a little out of focus, it's a, it was a great, I, I don't want to go too far off on that, but it, it's the same thing of what you're just saying, you know, understand how to control all that stuff and then use it as your tool 
don't be a slave to it. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. I knew we'd get to a point of agreement, even <laughs> if we, we disagreed about the, the analog darkroom. Listen, yeah. Bob, thanks so much for uh, sparing the time and joining us on the pop, uh, yeah. podcast. Um, do you want to just, is there one thing that you think this is what, what the one thing that um, people should bear in mind when it comes to printing their work? Oh, yeah. I, I think it goes back to what we said earlier. When, when you go to print your work, whether it's an exhibition print or um, uh, or, or a, a printing a book, you know, with a commercial printer, just make sure you have a connection with 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 the printer themselves, not not the receptionist, not, uh, you know, not not somebody who's working in the lab. But you, you want to have a connection there. You want to know that they really understand your work. And if they don't, then find another one. There's a lot of us out there, you know. Um, you, you need to find someone who's got the same passion that you had and have for making those images. Because honestly, fine printing is the easy part. Getting ink on paper, no matter what the, the paper or the mode of, of your printing is, is, is mechanical. You can do that. You can find somebody to do that. But if it doesn't have the soul, then it's just ink and paper. What a, what a fantastic place to end it. you got to have some soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Bob, thanks so much indeed. It's been really great to, ha to have you join us. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I think there's a lot of food for thought for all of us there. Uh, that's the end of this particular episode. You know what I'm going to say. Take care. <laughs>